Galatians, if you open up your Bible over to the book of Galatians, we'll be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. We started out last week talking about how important the gospel is, right? The gospel is powerful, everybody. The gospel changes lives. It changes cities. The gospel changes families. You bring the gospel into a center of a marriage, it'll change the marriage. When a marriage is a gospel-centered marriage, it's a healthy marriage. It's a strong marriage. You see, the gospel is powerful. Amen? So what is the very thing that the enemy is going to go after? The enemy is going to go after the gospel, wanting to twist the gospel, change the gospel, thwart the gospel, confuse the gospel. And that's what Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians. It's what we're dealing with today. You have this gospel according to old dead religion. Last week I called it the, the old school religious gospel, right? Which tells you that you got to do, 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 be, be, be in order to work your way into heaven, in order to be a part of what it is God's doing and wants to do, and in, in, in order to have the favor and the love of God upon your life, well, you better, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's, old school religious gospel. Then there's this, there's this new school, I call it new school progressive gospel that, that doesn't like all of those rules and all this religion and has kind of come way over here to this other side and said, well, there really is no boundaries, there really is no rule, it's just this, this love of God that is just kind of accepting of all demeanor and all lifestyles and there is just no, there's no standard. And what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians is drawing us back to, here's what changes everything, drawing us back to grace, a grace-centered gospel. And what I need you to understand is that grace changes everything. And Paul is preaching grace. He's defending grace. And he needs to because in his absence, after he planted the church, these Judaizers had come in and started to question the gospel of grace that Paul was preaching. Just what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna give you a little bit of background about these guys and gals that had come in uh, twisting the gospel. I want you to understand where they're coming from so we could address this really big question that they were asking so we could address the why they came in behind Paul. So can you hang with me for a second? Everyone say yes. Good. Whether you want to or not, I'm going to make you hang with me for a second. So Paul would preach the gospel grace and then he would leave the city after he had planted the church, established leadership. And in his absence, these Judaizers started following Paul around. They'd come in and they'd start preaching the gospel with a little bit of twist. You see, they were good little, they grew up as good little Jewish boys and girls. And they honored the law. And they started to impose that law on these Galatians, specifically when it came to circumcision and the feast. Here's what they would say. See, they, they would say, um, I know Paul said it's all about Jesus and what Jesus did for you, but... What you need to understand is it's about Jesus and some other things you have to do if you're going to keep walking with Jesus or if you're going to keep in step with what God has for your life. And so they started to impose some, some law on them. And in order to get their message to stick, they said that they're from Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem was the, the headquarters of the apostle. And so they would say, we're from the headquarters, and we're here to tell you that I know Paul said it was Jesus, but it's Jesus and. It's Jesus plus some stuff. It's Jesus um, plus circumcision. Jesus plus adhering to these feasts. Jesus plus la, 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 right? And so Paul, they said, didn't really have any authority like the rest of the apostles. We're the ones you need to listen to. 
So Paul writes in chapter 1 to reestablish his authority, that he is an apostle. That's what's happening in chapter 1. The question now on the Galatians' mind is, well, if Paul has authority, and he's saying that it's Jesus only, and these guys are coming in, they say they have authority, and they're saying it's Jesus plus some other things, who's right? Is it all about Jesus, or is it Jesus and some things that we've, we've got to do? And so Paul now is, is answering that question. Who's right? What is this all about? Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Ready? It says this. Paul's telling them the story of his, his um, salvation, how he came to know Jesus, how he's called into the ministry that now that he has. And he spent all of chapter 1 kind of telling the story. And he gets to this spot in his story, and he says this. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. After 14 years of preaching, the he says, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to Revelation. Like, I wasn't getting called to the principal's office. I wasn't in trouble. The Spirit of God told me I needed to go up to, to the headquarters. I took Titus along, and I went up in response to Revelation. And meeting privately with those who were esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles, which was a gospel according to what? Grace. Everyone say grace. Grace, okay? Now here's what he says. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet even Titus, who was with me, was compelled, wasn't, uh, even, not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Goes on to say, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy out the freedom. To spy out the, say it with me, freedom. Say it with me, church. Freedom that we had in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved with you. Paul says there's all of these questions floating around whether it's just about Jesus or if it's Jesus and because I got called by the spirit to go to the headquarters to discuss this thing we only had to discuss it because everyone was starting all these rumors I brought with me Barnabas and Titus why is Titus important well Titus is a he's a Greek he's a he's a pork eating bacon frying uncircumcised Greek right and they the, the Jews weren't even supposed to really hang out with these unclean, you know, Greeks. And Paul throws an arm around him. Come on, buddy, we're going to headquarters. And he takes him into headquarters, and he puts Titus right there in front of all the, other, all the leaders. And he says, everybody, I want to introduce you to Titus. He is a pork-eating, bacon-frying, uncircumcised Greek. And he's given his life to Jesus. He's filled with the Spirit. God is moving in his, tell him, tell him, Titus, what Jesus has been in your life. Tell him what the Holy Spirit's been doing in your life. And all the leaders are going, it is obvious that God's been moving in his life. We always agreed that it was always about grace. So Paul says to the leaders, basically, hey, you tell him he needs to be circumcised. If he needs to be circumcised, tell him. That's really bad news if he hadn't been, right, at that moment in his life. And what Paul's point here to the Galatians is, guys, when I was in headquarters, no one for one moment tried to convince Titus that he needed to be circumcised. No one for one moment started to lay the law on Titus. Matter of fact, all of us at headquarters were of one mind and of one heart 
that the gospel is meant to be according to grace, grace alone, Jesus, Jesus alone, Jesus, Jesus, period, Jesus, don't add to Jesus, Jesus, don't start trying to do some good things to earn more of the love of God because the love of God is already upon you and what you need is Jesus in order to anchor you into what is already yours. You see, this has always been and will always be all about Jesus, all about grace, and you see Galatians, everyone's on page here. This is all about grace. The Judaizers were the ones that were trying to say it was other things. So here's why all this is very, very important. Because the Judaizers have a really important question running around in their head. If it's all about grace, and we don't start adding some law to it, okay? We don't start adding some rules to it. People are going to go crazy. If we don't give them these, these, this, this law, what's going to keep them in line? What's going to keep them pursuing holiness? What's going to keep them living right lives? Like, what's going to keep people moving Godward if we don't give them law? And it's a really important question. You see, the Judaizers, they, before you give them a bad rap, I think whenever we talk about Judaizers or the, the, the Pharisees in the Bible, everyone kind of hears this, dun, 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 you know, bad guys are here, right? Kind of the villains of the Bible. But what I need you to understand is where the... Judaizers came from. The Judaizers are actually a sect of the Jewish, um, of the Jewish people of, of, of Judaism that sought to help keep people safe from the Greek Empire when it came in. Okay? During the Maccabean Wars, the, the Grecian Empire came in and were seeking to Hellenize the Jews. Basically, they're seeking to take good little Jewish boys and girls and to teach them in the school that it's okay to this, and it's okay to that, and you shouldn't be doing, you don't have to go do these things, you don't have to, you see, and they started, it sounds like a world we're in today, right? They started just coloring all this stuff to the, to the kiddos, and all. so these Jews, these Pharisees said, not on our watch. You are not gonna Hellenize our kids, and you're not gonna Hellenize, so what they did is this, they said, listen everybody, listen, listen, we need to keep ourselves safe, we need to keep ourselves holy, we need to, don't do this and don't do that, and they started laying down these, these rules and these guidelines for the church, and they called people to it, and, they put, and their heart was right, their approach was wrong, their heart was right, I think their heart was on beat with God, but their approach was rule, rule, law, law, rule, and here they were, these people set apart. Matter of fact, the word, the Judaizers, the word Pharisee means set apart. They're set apart from, these, from this Hellenistic way of life, and they're living in this new way of life, and here comes Paul. Hey, everybody, it's all about grace. Shh. Don't tell people that. Hey, everybody, it's all about nothing to do with what you've done. It's nothing to do with what you're doing. It's all about what Jesus has done. Paul, stop it. Don't tell them that. They're going to go crazy. What keeps people pursuing holiness if there's no law, if there's no rule, if there's no line? And that's a really good question for us today, isn't it? It applies to the church perfectly. Because see, if we keep preaching grace, what's going to cause people to move toward holiness? If we don't impose some law, how are people going to be godly? And can I tell you, friends, for our church, we want to see more and more people come to know Jesus. Amen? And we want to see people who've come to know Jesus 
grow in their relationship with Jesus. We want to see people be discipled. The way we stayed around citizens is like this. We want to see people get out of Egypt. Egypt was this, that old, like, you know, in bondage to sin and the old way of life and living in slavery. We want to see them get out of Egypt. But then we want to see Egypt get out of them. Amen? Like sometimes you're set free from, you're, you're taken out of uh, enslavement to sin. You've been free. You're anchored in heaven. But you still got some of those old tendencies inside of you, Right? You still got some of this like old, you're used to living in Jerusalem, I mean, living in, uh, in what, Egypt so long, I'm already four, four points ahead, living in Egypt so long that you still got some old tendencies. So now we got to get Egypt out of you. The question is, how do we get Egypt out of people? I want to see you walking in holiness. We got, as a church, you need to move toward God. How does it happen? How does it happen? How does it happen? And Paul says, it happens the same way you got saved. You got saved by grace, and friends, you're, you are then growing in grace. You're motivated by grace. You're changed by grace. You're saved by grace, and then the gospel doesn't change to now law and works. It changes not at all. It stays on grace, you see. And so Paul's defending grace. Why? Because, friends, listen to me, church, and I'm going I'm to do my best to make the point to you. You're not just saved by grace. You're changed by grace. Your, your, your life is, is molded and moved toward holiness. How? By more grace. So if you have an issue, someone got issues in here. Anyone got issues? Come on, you got some issues where you need to see, you need to see yourself move forward. You have friends who've got, who have issues and, and they keep, those issues keep holding them back and they keep falling to these things and they keep... What do they need? This is the question. What do they need? Can I tell you what they don't need? They don't need more law. They don't need more rules. They don't need more. What they need is more grace. And, and I need you to let yourself listen to the word of God and let yourself rest on this or else you'll fall into a religious like little hamster wheel that you're running around on, trying to move life forward, trying to move life forward. Instead of living on a foundation of grace that then motivates you. Because when you really get a hold of grace, listen everybody, when you truly understand grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, when you truly understand what God has done for you, it changes everything on the inside of you it changes everything about you. And all of a sudden, there's this motivation now inside of you that comes not because of a law, but because of grace. Paul understood it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Watch what Paul says. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So here's the question of Paul. Paul, why in the world are you going through everything you're going through? Like, why do you allow yourself to keep moving to these cities where they're, they're beating you and leaving for dead and you've been shipwrecked and abandoned, but you still come back and you keep preaching grace? Paul, what is it in your life that's motivating you and influencing you? Why do you keep pushing forward? Why all the sleepless nights? Why all the abuse and heartache? Why do you keep pressing in and doing hard things? And here's what Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. 
I can't help myself. I'm so in love with the one who's love, in love with me that I get up every day just wanting to do everything that I can for the one who loves me. For I'm convinced, he says this, for one died, therefore all must die. In other words, he gave his life. So what do I do in response? I give mine. I understand how much he's given to me. I understand how much he's done for me. Therefore, I wake up every day and I do all that I can do. And all that I can do is just to give my life. For Christ died for all. Therefore, all die. I'm dying to what? Myself. I'm dying to my, 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 my selfish motivation and my, selfless hab my selfish habits and my, my selfish bend. I'm dying to all of it because he died for me. What did Paul have in front of his eyes? The grace of God, the goodness of God, and it moved him, everybody, Godward. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, For I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I want you to see where Paul starts. He's got this story. And I think all of us have stories, right? You have stories of a, of a, of a life where you were doing your own thing, you're running your own way, and, and maybe making a mess, and you found yourself trapped in some things. And I think sometimes we look at our story, and we say, there's no way I could have a different life, because this has been my life. This is, matter of fact, this is the way I was born. Matter of fact, this is, this is my family. Matter of fact, this is, when you look back for generations, this is like a generational curse on us. We just all live this way. We all have this bend. We all fall into this trap. We all fall, fall prey to this thing. And, and we say, I'll never be able to escape it. Can I tell you, Paul says, here's my past. I persecuted the church. I, I killed Christians. So some of you are like, you don't understand, Pastor Chris, how bad my life is. Paul's like, have you killed any Christians lately, right? <laughs> like, top that. But you know what Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 1? He says, let me tell you of my former life. The grace of God offers to you a former life, a used-to-be life, a used to walk that way life, a, a, a used to be addicted to that life, a used to be broken by that life, a, a used to be, right, life. And Paul says, let me tell you about my former life. I persecuted the church. I own it. I, I... Well, then, Paul, how did you get to where you are today, where you're defending the church and you're preaching the gospel and God's using your life in powerful ways? Paul, how did you do it? Tell me the rules you followed. Tell me, the, tell me the, 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 the cage you built for yourself to con contain all of that craziness that you used to be, Paul. Paul said, it's not a cage. It's grace that changed me. Watch what he says. He said, I don't even deserve to be called impossible because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am today. By the grace. Not a cage. Not law. Not more works. Not more. He says, the grace of God got a hold of me and made me what I am today. And his grace to me was not without effect. It got a hold of me, and it had an effect on me. It changed me. Now watch what he says. No, it, did, it had an effect. What was the, fa the effect on Paul? I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul said, it changed me. How? He said, I worked harder than everybody. Paul's bragging a little bit. I was, I was leaning in with all that I had. I worked harder than every, my life, I, I worked on everything in my life. I, but then he says, but it wasn't I, it was the grace of God in me. 
the motivation to do all that he was doing came from a, the only place that can actually enable you to do what Paul was doing. And if you don't have the right motivation, if you don't have the right foundation, you can work all you want and you're never going to see change. Change only comes in your life when you build it on the foundation of the grace of God in your life because the grace of God is the only thing that could actually change your life. Paul was motivated by grace. And here's what happens in the church sometimes is I think we lose sight of the grace of God. I think we become so familiar with the grace of God that we, we, we become so uh, just numb to the grace of God almost. And we lose the wonder. Come on, look at me. You, you lose the wonder of what it is you actually have in Jesus. And when you lose the wonder, you lose your why. You lose your how. You lose your way. Any of, you, any of you got, like, kids under, under 10? Let me see your hands, hands in here. Come on, you got kids under 10. One of, the, one of my favorite things to do when the kids were little was to take them to Disneyland, right? Because you would watch them walk into Disneyland for the first time. We take kids to Disneyland for the first time, right? They walk in, they're like, oh. I'm like, like, literally everything that could ever make a kid wow and wonder is, like, you're in Main Street, and it's already hitting them from every angle, like, candy, parades, like, balloons, like every, and they're just, it's like almost too much to take in. Do you know what I mean? And then they're watching the parade and they're just freaking out. And what are you watching when they're watching the parade? You're watching them watch the parade because it's so fun to watch just kids being drawn into this wonder. And I remember taking my kids, each one of them, I remember watching them just soak in the wonder of all that is Disney, everybody. But here's what happens. We bought passes because we lived in Orange County. And we were not far from Disneyland, so we all got passes. And we would go every Sunday after church. We would go with the, with the staff. We'd all run down to Disney. Can I tell you what happened after six months, a year, year and a half, two years of being at Disney? We'd be like, hey, everybody, we're going to Disney. And our kids would go, do we have to? I am telling you, that is a sad day in your house when your kids don't get excited anymore. And what began to happen is you just get so familiar. You just get around it so much. You get around this and you lose the wonder. And then you lose your way. And friends, what you and I need more than anything is not more rules and is not more law. Well, you're going to go and you're going to enjoy it whether you like it. Or you're gonna. It's just being reintroduced to what it is you actually have like and can I tell you the grace of God is better than anything Disney could ever offer you the grace and the goodness of God the work of Jesus on your behalf is better than anything Main Street could serve up it's better than anything any ride you could hit at Disney it's better than anything we can we could even possibly begin to to create around us right now on this side of the planet the grace of God just shows up and it's leaves us in awe. Ephesians says this. Ephesians chapter 1 goes on in the beginning to say that we were all trapped in sin. We were without hope and without God in this world. Broken people living on a broken planet. And Ephesians chapter 1 goes on to say, but yet God. 
God shows up with grace. And here are these people who could never deserve the goodness of God, never deserve the love, never earn our way into heaven. The grace of God shows up and begins to lavish upon you and I more than we could ever deserve. In Ephesians, I, I want you to read it, do some homework. Ephesians chapter 1 goes on to say that those of us who were lost in our sins and stuck in our way, headed down dead-end roads, this grace shows up and gives us, it says in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He says that we are chosen in him, that we're predestined in him, we're adopted into his family, we're accepted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're anchored in heaven, signed, sealed, delivered. I have a future and I have a hope. Why? Because of grace. Jesus, a work done for me that all I have to do is receive. And when you keep yourself in touch with how good the grace of God is, it's going to motivate your heart to live in light of how good your God is. Ephesians chapter 4, after laying out for three chapters how good God is. Man, God's so good. God's so good. Look at what he's done for you. Look at what he's done for you. Look what he, you get to chapter 4, and then the apostle says, and after receiving all of this grace, he says, now live your life worthy of all that you have. Live your life worthy of the calling of which you are called. What does he mean by that? The word there's axiom. It's a mathematic word. If you've been around, you've heard me teach on it. What it means is what you do to one side of the equation, you have to do to the other side of the equation. And he says, here's what's gonna, here's what's gonna motivate you. Not keeping your eyes on what you've got to do and what you got to do. Don't keep your eyes on this side of the equation. Keep your eyes on who he is and what he's done and what he's given and, and what he's brought about. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on grace. And what happens is you're going to live axiom. In other words, what can I possibly give to the one who's given me everything? If he's given his life, what can I give? And you're looking around. What can I give? What can I give? What can I give him? But he gave his life. And so I give the only thing that's acceptable. I, 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 I. I give my all to I give my life to him. I'm going to live my life like this. I'm going to live my life open and yielded and trusting and, and just completely surrendered to the one who gave it all for me. I'm going to give it all for him. Axiom. I am going to respond in kind. Not by keeping my eyes on what I got to do, but keeping my eyes on who he is. The grace moves me. It changes me. It pushes me. It's the grace of God, friends, that we have to keep in the front of our eyes. Well, then what about the law, the Judaizers would say, would say? What about it? What do we do with it? Do we just toss it out? Do we get rid of it? No. You see, you need the law. Follow me here, everybody. You need the law because it's the law that says, here's the bar. Here's where, here's... Here's the standards. Here's where you're to start going. Here's where you're supposed to be. And what happens is a lot of times in church we get stuck on la, 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 la. And everyone's going, yeah. And we can't actually, it, it set the bar, but I can't jump that bar. I can't go that high. And so if you preach la, la, la in a church and all you give people is la, la, la. Here's what, we walk around going, pretending that we're living in that. Pretending that we're doing that because we don't want people to think that we're not actually doing all of this, that we're supposed to be, right? And we walk around pretending, but the reality is you're not actually doing all that because you can't on your own do all of that. And so now you've got stuck in this religious life that pretends you've got it all going on when the reality is none of us really have it all going on. Are you following me? Like there's this, this law. You need the law to set 
the path and the trajectory, but what it ultimately does is it makes you realize that you can't live the law. And it forces you into grace. And that's what it's meant to do. We'll go on in Ephesians to read that it's a, it's a tutor, it's a teacher that says, here's what, here's what you have to do. And we all go, I can't do that. And what it's meant to do is lead me to grace. How do I know that I need grace? How do I know that I need Jesus? How do I know that, that I need everything that Jesus came to, to give me? Because when I look at that, I go, I can't do that. I need another solution. Here's what we do sometimes. And if you're not careful, you do it to yourself. And if you're not careful, you do it to your loved ones. When someone's struggling to do what we tell them and what we give them is more rule on what they should do. But that doesn't change them. It's the grace that changes them. Let me explain it to you this way. Like, CAT scan. You go to get a CAT scan. What's a CAT scan do? It tells you, oh, you got an issue, right? Come on, right? If, if you have an issue, the CAT scan's gonna find it and tell you, you have an issue. It's a serious issue. It's, it's a terminal. We got, we got an issue, right? So how do we heal you? Do we give you more CAT scan? Right? No. We have to find a cure. We have to find, we have to find help. You see, the, the law tells you you've got a problem. You ran over. Yep, you're not gonna, we got an issue here. It's a terminal issue. We got an issue. What do we need? Not more CAT scan, not more law, not more do, not more hat, right? What we need is a cure. And all of a sudden, I'm not looking for a cure. Why? Because the law told me, the CAT scan told me I got issues. So the CAT scan tells me that I need a cure. I go looking for a cure. And the cure is Jesus. The cure is grace. The grace of God washes me and cleanses me and heals me. And now that I'm healed, now that I'm washed, I leave that moment seeking to live my life walking in everything that he has for me. Grace heals me and saves me. Then it motivates, it inspires me to worship, to move toward holiness. What you need is more grace. More grace. Imagine, imagine a man living homeless as we close, who has nothing. Old tattered clothes, dirty, hasn't showered or been clean in years. Moving from one alley to another alley, seeking just to, just to make it by, trying to find food in the, in, the, in the dumpsters, just going from one to the next, diving into one dumpster after another, just looking for sustenance, looking for a way just to make it through another day, having absolutely nothing. Year after year, alone, isolation. That's a picture of where the world is. That's a picture of where we are before, before grace comes into our life. Trying just one thing to the next thing. And then a man from some posh place with a mansion up on the hill is walking by one day and takes you and says, listen, follow me. Come on. I'm going to take you somewhere. Puts you in their sweet ride, all leathered out. Drives you up the hill and the gates begin to open, you go in, and there's this massive, beautiful mansion on these perfectly manicured, you know, gardens, and 
opens the front door, brings you in, and you're kind of going like, what in the world's going on? And what is this all about? And he says to you, listen, why don't you go shower? Why don't you shave? Why don't you go in and just get yourself cleaned up? You go in, you shower, you come out, and there's a new wardrobe there. There's something for you to wear, some new clothes that you you can put on, you put on the new clothes, they perfectly fit, you're all clean, you, you get shaved, you do your hair, you come out and there's a meal laid there for you, out at the table. And you start eating because you haven't had a meal like that and gosh, you can't even remember how long. And you sit and you eat and you find yourself nourished. You've been washed, you've been cleansed, you got a, some new clothes on and now you're being nourished and that man comes back in and says, listen, your life has changed today. I want you to know that this house, my house, it's your house. And that room, that's your room. Those clothes, those are your clothes. That shower is your shower. This food is your food. That fridge is your fridge. It all belongs to you. That man did nothing to deserve it, but yet here he is. Come on, living in all of it, enjoying all of it, just just at the, at the feast in the, in the presence of, of all of it. That, my friends, is grace. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't work his way toward it. He didn't, you know, earn the the fortune to make it all happen. He just steps in and lives in it. Now, let me ask you a question, my friends. How does that man then live? How does that man then live? Can I tell you how he then lives? He then lives changed. You don't want to then move back to the alley you used to be living in. You don't want to then go dig through the dumpsters you used to be digging in. Does that make sense? You don't go put on the old clothes. Oh, I just miss my old clothes. No, your old clothes stink. Your old clothes are dirty. You want to live in the new clothes, you see? You, all of a sudden, after you've experienced grace, you want nothing to do with anything other than that grace. And you live your life now to honor and bless and live within everything that that man bought for you and offered to you, your life begins to change. And that's just a small picture. As the worship team comes up and we begin to close, that's just a small picture of what the grace of God does for you and I. That you live changed. Why? Because the grace of God changes you. And some of us just need to be reawakened to the grace of God in your life. What you need is not a bigger understanding of do and don't. What you need is a bigger understanding of what he's done. But what about the truth, Pastor Chris? What about the law? I know, I gotta have that in there too. The law of God is good. And we need the truth of God. You've heard me say it over and over again. That the law is how all of this is supposed to work. Follow me as we close. It's how all of this is supposed to work. It's the God who created life, who knows how life works, revealing to you and I how it all works. You can never live in the way that it actually works without the grace of God helping you to get there. I don't throw out the law I don't throw out the truth in the way God told me to live. And I move toward it. I want it. I desire it. The grace of God helps me get there. I've used the illustration before of, of a 
trapeze artist, and I'll close with this. You know, you could, you could read all day long about how to do those. You guys watch trapeze artists, right? And you could read all day long about how to do that. Okay, I'm going to get up on the, climb up the ladder, hold on the thing, go and swing, and then let go right there and flip twice and grab a hold and keep it. Like, you could read that all day long. But can I tell you something? Everybody, you just don't go up there and nail that. Like, you know, hey, everybody, today's the day. I've decided to go and be a trapeze artist. Get out of the way, right? You, go, you don't just nail that. What you do is you go up and you try that. And all the instruction and all the directions, that's like the truth, right? It's like the law. Like, here's how this works. Here's all the technicalities of it. And here's how it's supposed to be done. And you, you've memorized it even, right? And so you get up there and you try it and you fail. And when you fail, you fall. And you, ah! and it's a really long fall. You just keep falling. Ah! And some of us are living in free fall. Ah! Like, and that's where we are. You can't do it, you tried to do it, you failed to do it, and you're falling. And what happens is grace comes in. That's not the ground? No, that's a net. It's grace. It catches you when you fall. It, it invites you back over to the side. Are you all right? And wash you off. Get it. Let's go at it again. And see, the grace of God enables me to be caught, to be washed, to be cleansed, and go, all right. I don't tell myself, I'm not trying that again. And I tell myself, okay, I now can go at it again. I now can lean into how God has asked me to navigate this thing called marriage. I can't, how to navigate this parenting thing and how to, all these things that God is calling me to do are good for me and it's gonna, it's, it's what my life is meant to do, but the only way I can move toward what my life is meant to do is by the grace of God always there to catch me when my life doesn't do what it's meant to do. Does that follow? And so what I need, friends, is both that truth, but a lot of grace. Where does it start? With the grace. Where does it move me? Toward the truth. So what people need is grace, 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 grace. Truth, 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 truth. Grace and truth. You know, Jesus came in in John chapter one, it tells us that he came full of both what? Grace and truth. Truth and grace. So we preach a gospel according to grace because grace is what changes everything. It keeps us anchored. And I just pray that every single one of us build a life on that grace, recognizing that he has already given you all that you need for life and godliness. He has already washed you with his grace, already anchored you into heaven, already calls you loved, already calls you chosen. And he's just calling you further and further into his grace. Can I get a better amen, church?